Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Welcome to our Texans post-game show. Robert Land, along with my co-host, Sports Radio 6 John Bajani. And if you're new to the party, we have 45 years in journalism between the two of us, over 35 years covering Houston sports, so you're in good hands. And Sean, the Browns didn't even need Deshaun Watson or their offense. Kyle Allen, responsible for two Browns touchdowns, and the special teams gave them seven more. So there you go. You know, it's kind of interesting, and we'll talk about the vibe in the uh, Texans locker room after this one. A lot of deflecting from the offense, but onto the defense's shoulders to that of the Texans. They felt like they all should have done more. And if the Cleveland Browns can score defensively and on special teams, then why can't we? Um, Their best effort to try and obviously cover up and protect another horrible offensive performance from that of the Houston Texans, which not historically bad today by any stretch, uh, but certainly just about as ineffective and inefficient and careless as we've become unfortunately used to seeing. What was the reaction in the locker room? Anything new or different today? Uh, You know, nothing new or different, I would say. Uh, I just thought, you know, a couple of interesting observations. I will give you that from the, uh, usual rigmarole of, uh, you know, deflecting and uh, the yada, yada, yada stuff. But for the first time this season, it was interesting that Cal McNair went into the uh, home locker room, uh, went in, did not see him come out, obviously exited from a different door, along with Lovey Smith, who we didn't see come out, as he typically does right in front of us, uh, walking in front of the media. Uh, so I thought that was interesting. Um Frank Ross, uh, the uh, special teams coordinator for the Texans, who, you know, for about a good half of this game, they were probably as good as they've been playing their best game of the year as a special teams unit in all phases there. Obviously, the Desmond King fumble. uh, They allowed the uh, punt return for a touchdown. Um, But aside from that, it was Cam Johnson who just punted the ball beautifully today. There was good coverage in all aspects, whether it be kickoff, kickoff, return, punt, punt, return, um, you name it. They did it up until those uh, really last quarter, quarter and a half of football. Frank Ross exited looking pretty, pretty intense, pretty pissed off, which I thought was kind of interesting. I have not seen him leave that early. You never know what's going on outside of football, but um, just kind of interesting. Um, and then uh, let's see what else did I observe. A lot of people had Deshaun Watson Brown jerseys in the Texans locker room. A lot of the guys getting him signed. I know Jerry Hughes, um, uh, Obo Caracuo, I think. A uh, handful, about five, six, seven players after the game dapped up Deshaun Watson at midfield. And uh, I know Pep Hamilton did as well. So interesting just kind of observations there. Things you don't see on the television screen that I, for whatever reason, just because I'm oddly curious, was uh, kind of, Patiently waiting to see once this uh, game was over. Deshaun was 12 for 22 overall, 131 yards, zero touchdowns, one interception, quarterback rating 53.4. Yeah, finished. I think he finished with a worse quarterback rating than Kyle Allen, believe that or not. Kyle Allen, 20 for 39, 201 yards, one touchdown, an interception, and a fumble. Not near as pretty if you take away the garbage time drive at the end of the game. It sort of skewed the numbers, Sean. Yeah, it did. <laughs> it did. I think he beat him by like point one or something like that. But Deshaun didn't look good today. I mean, he made a couple of, you know, pretty good throws, something that, you know, we shouldn't have uh, been caught off guard by. Um, it it kind of played out really just how I thought it was going to in terms of like 
the balance between passing and running the football if you're the Cleveland Browns. Uh, there were some drops, obviously. There were some pressures. Uh, Jerry Hughes, Obo Okoronkwo getting to Deshaun Watson a couple of times, hurrying some throws, sacking him once in this game. Um, I, I really anticipated a much uh, more uh, accurate and efficient Cleveland Browns offense, though, to be quite honest with you, because in my mind, I broke it down like this. Okay, it was like 583 days from the time that Deshaun Watson last walked off of this football field as a Houston Texan to playing a game of football, although a meaning, meaningless one, in the preseason against the Jaguars, I believe it was, earlier this year. That's a long time. I expected him to look rusty, but I also didn't really expect him, and I don't think anybody should have, to look good or playing with any sort of care about him at all because, mind you, that was before the suspension had come down. And once he find out, found out that he was going to be suspended for 11 games, okay, now you know a date. You've got a target, and you know exactly who you're playing, where you're playing, and you probably know that that team's going to suck anyway. Okay, so then you, you to me, I would expect like, all right, there was 100 and some odd, 136 days since he last played an actual game of football. I would expect him to be ready for this one, not really needing to shake that much rust off, uh, even though you can't replicate an NFL pressure or game condition or anything like that in practice, mind you, not even virtual reality, which some of these guys actually use. Um, I just expected him to look a little bit better than he did today. And I'm, I'm kind of surprised that the Texans were in this game for as long as they were because these two teams are operating at, at both in opposite ends of the spectrum here. The Browns are leading the NFL coming into the day with the most yards from scrimmage per game. The Texans give up the most yards uh, from scrimmage per game. I expected an absolute blowout. And the final score kind of indicates as such, but we obviously know we didn't see that from a Browns offensive standpoint. We need you to subscribe, like, and comment on YouTube. We want to hear from you guys. Hit us in the comments because we're going to react to them as we go along. Uh, we want you to subscribe. It's a great way to support the show. And, Sean, you talk about the inaccuracy with Deshaun Watson, and it looked like he needed Yuli Gurriel out there because he kept throwing balls in the dirt, and he needed somebody to come and scoop them scoop all up. That's what I, I thought of when I was watching it. <laughs> Uh, oh, well, let's see. You're talking about the scoop and score. Uh, no, 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 no. I'm talking about Deshaun needed Yuli Gurriel out there because he threw oh, yeah, so many balls and yeah, all the low throws that he was making out there. And one of the things I'm curious because, you know, it's hard to really get a good gauge without being there. I'm sure people are wondering what did it sound like there with the booze? Like what was the reaction that you heard from people when he came yeah. out and then with each possession? Uh, there was there was good booze, you know. It was it was certainly loud enough, uh, and I'd say they started to wear out as the game went on, um, because one, the stadium wasn't that packed anyway. And I'm I'm really bad nowadays in trying to uh, uh, give you an estimated, a uh, really educated guess on the the amount of people that are in a stadium that can seat seventy one, seventy two thousand people. But I'd have to say that uh, I don't know. There was probably thirty five, forty thousand people here and be anxious to see how how wrong I am on that. But there wasn't a lot of people here, just as there hadn't been all season long. But the boos were certainly prevalent uh, early in the game, every time uh, that he broke huddle within, I'd say, the first five, six series of the game. Um, in that first offensive series, you know, they huddled up about four different times before they actually got going. And so you got plenty of practice if you were a fan uh, to boo Deshaun Watson as they approached the line of scrimmage about three different instances before the first official snap of this ball game was off for them after the Kyle Allen interception on his first play. But uh, yeah, I mean, it was there. I don't think it was, it was as bad 
as people would have liked to have heard and seen. Though this whole week has been kind of funny for me because I've been in the locker room all week long. This was much less to do about Deshaun Watson against players on the Houston Texans. There's eight guys that yeah, were they're... here when he was here. It doesn't matter. Yeah, they don't sure. care. And most of them are friendly with them. It, it, it just does not matter. There was nothing there. You weren't going to get any kind of one-liners, any good audio bites from like, you know, yeah, revenge. Uh, no, it was, we had nothing to do with this. You know, it's kind of a his thing. And from to my knowledge, maybe you can answer this. I talked to a couple of buddies of mine and, they said there was no mention of Busby, no mention of the women during the game, no shot of him in a suite or anything like that. And maybe I think they'd mentioned it before the game, uh, you know, just in terms of like the timeline on Deshaun Watson. So like today it was really about just a bad football team going up against a below average one that has a glimmer of hope in their eye for making the playoffs if they can some way somehow win five of their next six ball games and give themselves a chance. Um, but yet still a team in the Browns that does not control their own destiny. Yeah. Unless there was a, cons- unless I missed something, there was a concerted effort not to mention Busby, the other victims. They obviously mentioned what was going on. They talked about a more contrite Deshaun or a more thoughtful Deshaun that the broadcasters spoke to than the one that you saw at the press conference, which I thought was pretty interesting. How many, how many Browns fans were were there? Because, you know, you did hear some cheers when Deshaun came out. Like, what was the percentage, do you think? Uh, you know, I I can't remember going back to what game it was. I have to look at the schedule. Uh, but fairly early on this season, I'd say probably about maybe the third home game, I noticed the lower bowl mainly being occupied by the visiting team. You know, we saw it plenty for the Eagles game with Jalen Hurts coming back and um, you know, there's been a couple of other games where it was really prevalent. I think the Raiders were, no, the, we went, we went there to the Raiders. Uh, there was another game or two, but today there's a lot of orange, uh, in the lower bowl again, but that's also relative to just the lack of amount of butts in seats here. Uh, there just wasn't a lot of people at the game, but I'd say Browns fans probably outnumbered Texan fans in the lower bowl half. Um, I'll, I'll say that. Um, so, you know, it from that, from that regard, I mean, it wasn't much different than what I've observed all season long. Um, I'll tell you this, though. Walking up to the stadium, and I walked the blue lot before the game to meet a couple of friends of mine uh, for about 20, 30 minutes before. I saw quite a few Deshaun Watson jerseys, T-shirts and jerseys, jerseys, you know, stuff like that from both Browns and Texan fans. And I was paying attention to act- exactly who was wearing those. I actually saw... And, you know, it's a small sample size, just me, one one person walking from the purple lot to the blue lot. I actually saw four uh, Deshaun Watson jerseys in, um, the, in, in the Browns uniform. Two of them were worn by women. All three, no, all four of the ones that I saw from a Texan point of view, all were being worn by men. And I saw two of them in particular being interviewed by uh, local TV stations here as I was walking up, so... <laughs> interesting to see why exactly they did not decide to trade those in about a month ago when the Texans held that event. I don't know if you caught it, but Deshaun went up to Cal McNair, shook his hand, gave him a little, they, they, uh, you know, had a little greeting before the game started. Yeah, I did not see that. I actually heard about it. I asked uh, Adam Spillane, a colleague of mine, the fourth radio six ten, uh, about that. If there was an interaction, he told me exactly the same thing. Um, I guess to, I guess I'm not really surprised. 
you know, anticipating some sort of uh, gentlemanship, you know, being cordial to each other versus uh, just completely ignoring him. I guess I would have gone uh, with that. What happened, you know, nice gen- gentlemanly handshake, you know, uh, maybe a brief embrace. I don't know. Uh, I saw I saw something similar. I mean, I waited around just to see exactly what the interactions were going to be at the end of the game, you know, through my binoculars with uh, Deshaun Watson and a handful of Texan players. I think Laramie Tunsil was one of them, obviously blocking for him here for a couple of years as a member of the Houston Texans. Uh, I mentioned, uh, I think, I don't think it was Obo Okoronkwo, um, but certainly Jerry Hughes um, and a couple of the players that slipped my mind. But Pep Hamilton was interesting. But Brandon Cooks, those two guys hugged for like, 45 seconds like I just thought that was a really interesting embrace right there I mean they just couldn't let go of each other (laughs) and uh so there there was that and now it's done the most highly anticipated home game of the season I think grew more and more tired as we led up to it the week was a giant dud I think the game was a giant dud um because quite simply again it had nothing to do with Deshaun Watson versus the players this was all from an optic standpoint and from the country as a whole most people, literally most people, did not get a chance to see this. And, you know, maybe rightfully so. The NFL um, trying to make damn sure that it is not a spectacle. And it just so happens to be that who wants to watch, you know, the worst team in the NFL against. Well, that's the, the mo- that's the big yeah. thing is who the hell wants to watch the Texans. And, uh, you know, I, sure. of course, um, crucial plays in this one, crucial possessions. We're going to go through it a little bit. First play from scrimmage after the opening kickoff. Quitteriano makes a near spectacular catch, but because it's the Texans, the ground knocks the ball up in the air for an interception. You can't start out more Texans than that, Texans than that, John. I, I, I'm going to go glass half full on this because to me, the most interesting part of that, about that whole thing was, man, Quitteriano almost made a great catch. I didn't think he was that good of a receiver as a tight end. <laughs> he's good. I'm telling you right now, he's good. Um, I, I was excited about him early on in training camp before he'd gotten hurt. Uh, really paid very close attention to him. Uh, he runs well, does catch the ball well. Uh, Kyle Allen struggled all day long. Uh, I thought John McClain probably had the tweet of the day. He wins Twitter today. If you need your Christmas presents airmail, just call Kyle Allen. He'll help you out uh, because he overthrew Nico Collins a number of times today. You mentioned the high ball to Tegan Pretoriano. Um, he was he just struggled with inaccuracies all day long, and it's just they're things they're throws you don't see from even some really good high school quarterbacks, really good guys in college, and you know hell rust. I don't know if Lovey Smith is going to give Kyle Allen much more time to knock off the rust. Um, I had a number of guys leaning over to me today in the press box like, hey, when do you think they go to Davis Mills? And I said, well, does it matter? You know, does it really really matter at this point in time? I mean, I think if you're the Texan players. They probably pined for Kyle Allen to get a shot over the course of the last month so much that, hell, you're going to pull him after a couple of games. I mean, what sort of distraction and animosity do you possibly need to internally create and do that? They'll probably give Kyle Allen at least another game or two before they decide to maybe make a move. And I really thought the move was going to be made for him today, to be quite honest with you, Robert, because Kyle Allen took that broadside hit, uh, that block, I think, from uh, Winovich. The, uh, I think Winovich was a former Michigan Wolverine, if uh, I recall. Um, he knocked a tar out of Kyle Allen on a play. And I thought for sure Allen wasn't getting up from that. That was going to be a concussion. He got up and ended up engineering a pretty decent drive. Can't remember if they actually scored on that one, if it was three or uh, they had to punt or whatever. But um, I, I just think it's going to be natural if 
Davis Mills is seen again this year as a quarterback for the Houston Texans. Maybe over the course of the last month, he gets back out there if Kyle Allen is not hurt just because we see more of this, which I would anticipate, to be quite honest with you, because they don't have very good players offensively um, to, 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 to show otherwise, to be quite frank. And the play calling was abhorrent today. I don't use that word very often, but it was despicable, just horrible play calling today to get your quarterback in any kind of rhythm uh, they go from bootleg to under center to shotgun to running the ball on a first and 30, second and long, and then you're inside the five-yard line, and you're going to – Hold on, hold, hold on. Hold on. Don't, don't say anything about the inside the five. We're going to get to that. I'm going to get to that. <laughs> All right, sorry. Hold, hold on. You're, you're going to destroy the whole show, and then I'm just going to have to, like, walk <laughs> away after you're done with answering the question. But, uh, yeah, we're going we're gonna to get to some of the other play calling. But uh, just going back to Kyle Allen for a second. <laughs> He was third string. I have to. I have to go back and look at this, you know, and and all of the history behind it. But you remember this? You're a Cougar. He was third string at U of H, and the thing behind that I, behind Postma. Yeah, 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 behind behind him, and of course behind <laughs> Derek King. Derek King's not in the NFL right now, and I'm watching Kyle Allen and his like athleticism, and I use that word loosely, and just him, him as a quarterback, and I'm like. Derek King's not in the NFL right now. Is Derek King a better quarterback than Kyle Allen? <laughs> I, I guess, you know, I mean, Derek King, from what I remember, yeah, look, he was really good at U of H, loved watching him play, but he was no Case Keenum. He wasn't no Kevin Cobb. I mean, he was a different kind of quarterback, obviously, and, you know, different team too, but pretty good team actually with U of H whenever Derek King was here. But I don't know if he's a better quarterback. I mean, relative to what you need, out of an NFL quarterback? Well, I don't well, know. Well, he's better athletically than yeah. Kyle Allen. There's no debate about that. Neither guy is big. So it, there's not that's not a big difference between the two of them. And I'm watching Kyle Allen's arm strength and accuracy, and neither yeah. of them look very good. So I, I don't know what's – anyway, I'll put that to this. It doesn't matter because nothing's going to happen, but I'm just throwing that out there. The Texans' defense stops the Brown for, Browns for three and out, but the Texans – Next offensive possession, Kyle Allen with two terrible short passes and short yards, like not even close. So it's one first down and punt. The Texans D follows with a big play. Tavier Thomas strips the ball after a reception. Desmond King recovers at the 38. The Browns uh, falling into the usual first half trap, I thought, Sean, of every Texans opponent. They inexplicably decide to throw the ball a lot instead of run the ball. With, you know, Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt and all these guys, I just couldn't believe it. Yeah, um, I made note here on that offensive possession after the uh, forced fumble by Thomas that was returned by King. Allen missed uh, Tegan Kutoriano, who was wide, you know what, open in the end zone. And instead tried to throw that back corner fade to whoever the heck it was maybe it was Collins I don't know hopefully it was at least Collins you were looking at but I mean Tegan flashed wide open he had plenty of time and you could tell he was locked on to whoever that I think it, I think it had to be Nico in the back right corner of the end zone locked on him that's where the ball was going no matter what and I just think it is ridiculous and that's coached that's co hey we're gonna run this play right here we're gonna throw the ball here just give him a chance no how about, how about how about there's other three other guys running routes? How about you go through your reads? Like, find the open receiver. 
are you storm the ball. Are you talking about the possession where he he threw the two bad passes and then they punted? Is that the I one can't you... remember? I mean, every possession he threw two crappy passes, but I mean, <laughs> it, it was the it was the offensive possession right after the Tavi or Thomas forced fumble. Their third offensive possession. I made note. It was a first. Uh, Alan oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Tegan wide no. open for a touchdown on a first and sixth on on a first down. They were uh, it was first and sixteen. Two plays later it was a first and thirty from their own thirty six, and I said yeah. they suck. You know what? Um, and then. Yeah. That, that's that's the same possession they ended up settling for a field goal. Somehow they got back into field goal range, maybe gained a couple of three yards to create a 35-yard opportunity there. But I think that's what it was, and to take, they took the lead. But, I mean, they're just egregious. Like, that's coach. That is Pep Hamilton saying, throw it to this guy. That's it. That's all you got to do. What if he ain't open? You know, what if you just stink at throwing a back uh, shoulder fade in the corner of the end zone? What about throwing the guy open that runs, you know, a nice seven plus two and nobody's within four or five yards of him. How about hit that guy? Yeah, and those the reason they got backed up, Brevin Jordan replacing O.J. Howard today, finally back into the lineup. He commits a personal foul. Great way to get back on the field. And then Titus Howard, a false start. Titus with two penalties in the first three drives. He might have had three penalties on the – I mean, not all of them counted against him because of certain yeah, situations, yeah. and there was declining and stuff like that. But for the record, he was, again, getting a lot of penalties in this game. The Texans, as you said, walk away with the fair bear and field goal. The Texans D starts to get gashed a little bit on the next possession until Jalen Petrie intercepts Deshaun in the end zone. And let's go with a positive here. It's Petrie's third interception in his rookie season. Sean, it didn't look like Deshaun saw Petrie, but give Petrie credit for a good read and being where he was supposed to be. And Petrie had 16 tackles, nine solo in this game. Uh, Petrie by far had one of his best games, maybe statistically the best game that he'd had all season long, but you could just see early on in this game. Um, and it was highlighted there by that interception in the end zone. I think he brought it out to actually the 25, 26 yard line. Uh, if I recall, um, he just was playing with more juice, more, more, more vigor. Uh, you know, he was really laying the wood man on his tackles, doing a good job playing with physicality, strength, confidence, um, and I asked him particular, uh, in particular about that interception, you know, what he saw during that play. And um, it was kind of convoluted to me, but he broke the play down perfect. I think he called it like a double post, uh, you know, by the receivers. It was Amari Cooper. And then I forget the other receiver that was running. Uh, you know, they were, boom, kind of a double post like that. He just sat down. He saw it exactly from the snap. He knew what was happening. And he read it beautifully. Um, and, and, and that's the kind of play that we saw. In, in, in the preseason with Petrie, that's the kind of play that we saw from him early on this season. And he's had opportunities, Robert, um, to intercept the ball a handful of times over the course of really the last three games and dropping an easy one, you know, uh, a, a can of corn uh, just a couple of weeks ago here in, in a home game. Uh, you couldn't have gotten an easier one. And he reads that route tree beautifully, never took his eyes off Deshaun on that play and made a fantastic read, good catch, excellent return gave the Texans an opportunity, and they needed about 10 more of those today to uh, have a chance of beating this Browns team. Yeah, and, I, you know, he's he got all the tackles, but I still saw some times where it's like, man, you've got to use your arms when you tackle. You can't just use the shoulders. This is the NFL, and he does that way too often. He still gets dragged a couple of yards sometimes after plays. 
But, you know, again, he's got to get in the weight room in the offseason. That's a problem. It's great that you're there, but if you can't get the guy to the ground, doesn't matter a whole lot. Um, so, uh, real yeah, quick, before you go on, I, I just it just came to mind. Um, I think I might have tweeted this stat out earlier this week, but over the course of the last, I want to say, four weeks, uh, nobody's been targeted in the red zone more in the Texans secondary than Jalen Petrie. And so you look at that opportunity that he stole away from Deshaun Watson. Um, I just wonder, you know, with five games remaining in the season, if, uh, you know, teams continue to test him. I mean, maybe over the course of the next game or two, we do see that until he proves, hey, don't come in my house anymore because this is what's going to happen. I He spoke really highly that he's he devoted himself. Like he saw him hit hit the wall. Um, this season in terms of, you know, struggling with tackling and, and reads and just executing plays. And he made it a point to say that after the game today and said, look, I've really de- redevoted myself and in, in trying to focus on improving. And obviously today it, it certainly, uh, you know, showed in his play and, and really in the hard numbers with the tackles and just the plays that he'd made. It, it's hard. You're not going to pitch a perfect ball game no matter who you are or what position you play on either side of the ball. It's the NFL. You know, teams are, are trying to expose everybody. But he certainly played well enough to give his offense uh, 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 an opportunity to go move the ball and score the ball today. And unfortunately, they just couldn't do it. Next up, let's get to the Texans' best offensive drive of the day. I'm throwing out the garbage drive at the end of the game. It's first and goal at the three after they they, they uh, go down the field. But after running successfully the whole drive, Pep calls two pass plays, then a run to Dare instead of Damian Pierce, who is not in the game at all at the three-yard line for four total plays. Then on fourth and one, they throw the ball to Troy Hairston of all people. Now you can go off on that entire sequence, Sean. Okay. Uh, in my notes, I said play calling on this drive was horse bleep. Don't give it to your best player on first and goal from the four. Are you bleeping kidding me? Hairston, Jordan, both ran flat routes, full speed flat routes on that play that Hairston got. Oh, I think he froze up for a bit. Yeah, there, there were. I mean, those two pass plays, uh, hopefully I'll get you back here in a second. I think we got you again. But, uh, yeah, those two pass pass plays to start off with, I'm like, where's Pierce and why isn't he running the ball one of these two times? You don't have to run it to him on first down, I didn't think. But one of the two first first or second down, he should have been running the ball. I'm going to get back to you. I'll, I'll just keep going until I hear you again. But the Texans, after that, the Texans defense with their third huge play in the first half, they tackle. Chubb in the end zone for a safety. Desmond King returns the ensuing kick uh, 50 yards to the Browns, 48. That's the best punt or kick return of the Texans season, although King would fumble a punt return later in the game. (laughs) So, so much for that. The Texans offense uh, with the three and out, they just couldn't take advantage of, of anything. Next possession, the Texans allowed a couple first downs, but they force a punt. The Texans offense go, follows with a three and out. Then the Texans special teams, which has been good all year, gives up a 76-yard punt return to Peoples-Jones. It had been seven and a half years since the Browns scored a touchdown on a punt return. Uh, this is just, it's just like, again, it's like Charlie Brown. If something can go wrong with the Texans, 
something will go wrong with the Texans. So um, really frustrating. Uh, the Texans with a third and two at midfield after that with less than two minutes. But Kyle Allen fumbles the handoff to Pierce. Um, Allen recovers, but the Texans have to punt. The Texans defense with another big stop. The Texans offense can't do anything with 32 seconds left. So despite the Texans mostly outplaying the Browns in the first half, it's seven to five. Unbelievable. Let's go back, Shot. We got you again. Um, Can you hear me? Back, yeah, go back to what okay. you were talking about with that the possession uh, at the at the three yard line. Yeah, sorry. Um, internet, by the way, has been very sketchy in the stadium. So I don't think it's your stuff. It's definitely my stuff over here uh, in NRG. But yeah, that play in particular, um, Brevin Jordan came across at a full speed pre snap motion. He runs a flat route. Hairston right behind him runs a flat route as well. Horrible play design, really, because it doesn't create any separation with a corner and safety. There's no choice in the matter there. They just both pick those guys up in a one-on-one situation, and it's an easy sit for, I think it was a corner. It could have been the safety. I'd have to go back and really look at the tape. But that defensive back, it's an easy decision for them on who they're going to get. It's just, hey, if he crosses face, you get him. And I got the near guy, which happened to be Hairston there. He catches the ball. But if that is a slower route by Hairston and run more upfield, then that makes it a little bit more difficult for those defensive backs to communicate on who, who's got who. Brevin's supposed to be coming across fast in full motion. Hairston's not. And I'd be willing to bet, even though that ball was delivered on a dime right where it was, looked like it was supposed to be, my guess is that Harrison's probably supposed to carry that route a little bit more upfield into space where he's actually catching that ball at that point in time in the end zone. That didn't happen. And again, that just goes back to bad play calling, bad play design. And look, uh, Ben McDaniels, you know, I, I think, who is the passing game coordinator for this Houston Texans offense, you know, is, is, e- is an easy guy to forget and, you know, can escape criticism because we always want to put things on a head coach or an offensive coordinator. But if you go back and you just look at that play alone, and there was a lot of them today and just really all season long, I think you really see the massive amount of issues this offense really has with some fundamental type things. It looks creative and Hey, you know, you're there's this window dressing a pre-snap motion and things like that. They're doing something a little bit different, which yes, they have used a little bit more of that in the last couple of games. It still has to work. It doesn't matter who the quarterback is at that point in time. They still have to deliver the ball, but it's where they're delivering the ball. Are you creating space in the secondary? Are you making them make decisions? Or are you just kind of like brain dead, mind-numbingly running a route because it says to do so on a piece of paper? They practice these things week in and week out, and maybe their scout team just sucks. Or maybe they're maybe maybe what they think an NFL defense is going to do in this particular situation is completely wrong. It has to be because there's there's no there's no finesse to what they're doing offensively. They're they're execute they're not executing what looks most of the time like basic high school offensive football. And that's got to be what's most discouraging. And the the question was asked today again, Robert in the post-game press conference. I was not there, but I know the answer. I know the question was asked. Is Lovey Smith going to consider changing play callers going forward? And he said quite simply, no. I don't know if there was a follow-up, but it needs to continue to be pressed and asked 
until something is changed. And look, does it matter this season? Theoretically, no, but it is affecting the development of your younger players, like a Troy Hairston, like a Tegan Pretoriano, like a Nico Collins. You know, there are some receivers. You can't tell me that Philip Dorsett is not uh, capable of being used and as effective in this offense as a Brandon Cooks. And I'm talking about in this offense. Is, is Philip Dorsett as good of a player as Brandon Cooks could be? No. The guy's checked out, but Philip Dorsett should be, you know, one of the leading receivers on this team. But he's just stuck in a horrible offensive system. And I just I feel bad for those guys. And I feel bad for the young guys that we need to see um, progress being made with. Yeah, Luke asked if Pep was going to get shown the door before or with Lovey. I, I don't see them making a change before the end of the year. What's the reason? Yeah, I agree. At this point. So, yeah, I think he goes uh, he's out at the end of the season, if, if, if Lovey even stays, but I think no. this is the end for Pep. I just can't imagine it. And, you know, I don't know if you heard me say it, but they were running the ball very well in that drive. And I just didn't understand why Damian Pierce was not in the game. And I didn't understand you, you should have run the ball. At least one of the two, I don't mind first down, not running the ball. Cause that's what the other team's expecting. They're expecting the run, but I just thought, but second down, you've got to run because it, look, it's four. You should think of that as unless there's a penalty, it's four down territory right there. So you've got four downs to play with. So run the ball on second down. If if it goes nowhere or if Cleveland's starting to bunch the line, then then you you can do whatever you want to on third down. I don't care. But it just was really baffling to me why they didn't run the ball on the first two downs and All waited right. till third down. I, my biggest problem is I, I don't care what down. You're, you're really running. You know, again, you got to be in the moment because the other team is, is is loading up saying the same thing, okay? And the Texans maybe proved them wrong much of the time because they would anticipate, hey, you're supposed to be doing this here. Well, the idea is to keep the defense guessing altogether. And what the Texans tried to do a couple of times today, and I asked, I, I asked Damian Pierce about it specifically, not just that this particular instance where they're inside the five, um, in the play calling there, but just in general today, I said, hey, because there was a miscommunication on a play earlier in the game where they're running uh, re uh, zone read. And I said, hey, you know, you went one way and Allen faked the other way. Was that by design? Because it ended up being a pass play. And sometimes, you know, there's a miscommunication there. Sometimes a uh, quarterback's going to make a fake anyway just to kind of make that linebacker think for a millisecond. And he was like, no, look we're not a zone read offense to begin with. That was yeah. literally his reaction. And then he went on to say there was a miscommunication. You know, I, I went this way. Allen went that way. And unfortunately, you know, we just couldn't make sense. Of that. And he said, look, we trust Pep. You know, he's a great offensive mind, yada, yada, yada. Saying what he's supposed to say. And I, I respect that. Okay. I, I do respect that. And I understand it. I think we all do. Uh, just at the end of the day, you have to practice these things over and over and over. I mean, we saw the fumble, you know, on the zone read. Allen at least thought he was going to pull it or hung on too long and, and Pierce thought he was going to pull it. Like, that tells me it's really a read option, that they're giving Allen the uh, ability to make an actual read and pull it. That's something we didn't even see with Deshaun Watson that Bill O'Brien allowed Deshaun to do a handful of times and we saw the same result. There was a fumble. It wasn't clean and Bill O'Brien never went back to it. 
and he spent 2018, 2019 never really doing that and fully utilizing that 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 skill set from Deshaun Watson. Well, you can't just practice those things like once or twice in a week and expect it to work on a game day. These things, it's a very difficult uh, finesse and uh, uh, emotion to have because that running back, you're hitting that running back in the chest with the ball and you're holding on to that sucker and it's a split-second decision. I'm going to pull it or you're going to take it. That is the read. The running back's not reading. The quarterback's reading. And and so it, it just takes time. And that's that's one of the more frustrating things. And again, I have to put the onus on Pep Hamilton and the play calling and in, 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 in those decisions to run things that you have not done with remote success. There has to be repeatability. In baseball, you have to have a repeatable swing, a repeatable motion, a repeatable delivery. Whatever you're doing on a mound or in the box, basketball, if it's shooting free throws or three-pointers, there has to be a repeatability. In football, there has to be repeatability. And you can easily see, Robert, that there's not repeatability. There's not an emphasis put on doing it until you, you know, don't get it wrong type thing. It's doing it until it costs us. And it cost them a couple of times today, and they never went back to it. You can't create any identity, no matter who's a quarterback, when that's the case. When you were, uh, when we lost you for a second, I was going through some of the rest of the half. Yeah. And the biggest play, obviously, for the Texans, um, besides, you know, we went through that sequence at the goal line, but the biggest play for scoring anyway was the punt return. And and I mentioned that that had been that 76-yard punt return by Peoples-Jones. It had been seven and a half years since the Browns scored a touchdown on a punt return. Seven and a half years and this special teams has been pretty solid all season long now they had a good play with desmond king earlier in the game where he gets 50 yards but that play and then desmond king fumbling later in the game it was not good not wasn't pretty at all uh for the special teams in this game and 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 they cost the texans a couple of times pretty bad yeah, no, it really was those couple of plays because leading up to the 76-yard return for a touchdown, I mean, look, granted, the game was still fairly young, but, you I mean, look, the Texans punt the ball a lot. And Cam Johnson, you know, pinned the Browns deep a couple of times prior to that, and the Texans took advantage. They got a safety on one of those. And, um, uh, you know, look, given Deshaun Watson in this Browns run game the longest field possible, you're doing exactly what you wanted to do. I thought the the special teams was in route to one of their best performances all season long. And they've been really good all season long. I mean, this is a special teams unit. You could, a Super Bowl contending team would love to have, to be quite honest with you. Um, and yeah, look, the, the, the punt return for a touchdown, uh, Desmond King fumbling. It just, it was a domino effect. And that was kind of a, the vibe in the locker room as well. You know, and I, much of the defensive players were available for comment after this game and uh, probably by design, you know, the offensive players just kind of wanted to get the heck out of there probably. But um, the message was like, Hey, you know, we should have been able to do more. If the Browns defense is able to score the ball, then we should be too. And we had a couple opportunities there and we missed a couple opportunities. Well, when you're playing the best defensive game, and particularly from a run defensive standpoint that you had all season long against a team and against a duo that you're really supposed to get the brakes blown off of you by, and your offense stinks this bad, and the one facet of the game that you could rely upon to keep you in games and to put you in great positions to succeed as special teams is struggling, that's got to be a deflating 
uh, sensation. And it, it, it really was. And a number of players, you know, alluded to that fact. So, I mean, it's just, as Lovey Smith has been unfortunately saying one too many times over the course of the last couple of months in particular, it's tough duty. All right, let's get to the second half. Um, I kind of sped through the rest of the first half, but second half, the Texans force a punt at midfield. But then with the Texans backed up at the one, Kyle Allen fumbles a quarterback sneak, which Ward returns for a touchdowns. If a touchdown, the bad news Texans strike again. It's not just that the Texans offense sucks, Sean, and can't move the ball. They also hand it back over. I mean, people forget Davis Mills. Uh, yeah, he led the NFL with 11 interceptions, if you've already forgotten from two weeks ago. So this was number 17 as far as turnovers on the season. That particular play, they would get 18 and 19, I think, later in the game with another interception and a Desmond King fumble. I mean, they they, they find a way to shoot themselves in the foot as good as any team I've ever seen. And that's saying something. I've seen a lot of bad use in NFL teams over the years. Yeah. And I know this is different and players change regimes change, but man, when the Texans are bad, like the, when the Texans are bad historically as an organization, and there've been a lot of those years, unfortunately over the last 22, this is how it happens. Turning the ball over, pick sixes, fumbles, stupid plays we've seen it halfback passes we already had one of those this year thankfully didn't go for an interception or anything like that but rex burkhead did actually do that i think he threw it to brevin jordan or jordan akins or one of the dang tight ends i don't know what that was that was a handful of weeks ago if you recall that or if you just wiped it clean from your mind if you have congratulations um but this is how it happens and you know that last allen interception between him and Davis Mills, they've thrown 11 total interceptions for seven straight games. Now, I've been called out on Twitter by Ryan Leaf, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to commit myself to proving him wrong because I do trust my own research. But I tweeted earlier in the game that Ryan Leaf holds the NFL record for most consecutive games with an interception, which, to my knowledge, is 13 done between the years of 2000 and 2001, which means Davis Mills and Kyle Allen are well on pace to surpass that of one Ryan Leaf, in which um, I think there was a quarterback named Skelton a couple of years ago for the Arizona Cardinals that rivaled Leaf, and I think he just stopped short at 12 games. Um, but me and Leaf are going back and forth on Twitter right now, and I'm going to prove him wrong because Leaf says it was 15 games, and I contend that no, it is. In fact, it was bad, but not that bad. So I need I got I got to do some research, but yeah, look, when you're talking about historically bad offenses and when, when just you, you feel like you can't get any lower, this is what this is how it's done. When you're turning the football over, when you're throwing interceptions, and it's just egregious. And you and all you can be bad without turning the ball over at such with, with such regularity and have it be so egregious with the turnovers. I mean, there were some bad balls that he was throwing today. Yeah, I mean, and then you know the Texans drive down the field for a field goal, but I I want to go back to Pep again because it's third and five. They're in the in Brown's territory, and he decides to run the ball with Pierce instead of throw it. Like Pierce is running the ball at third and five, but you don't run the ball with, with Damian Pierce and you don't have him in the game at first, second, and third down and goal from the three. <laughs> He's like, what? 
Exactly. Exactly. I mean, it's don't we saw this earlier this season within the first month. I don't know if you recall, but I mean, I was standing up on a table and I'm saying, like, why is your best player? We all knew Damian Pierce, aside from Brandon Cooks, was their best player on offense. Why do you not have him in high leverage situations in games? And the excuse then was, well, you know, he's not good at blitz pickup. Well, he's not good at pass blocking. Well, we don't want to be predictable. All of those things. And it's like, there, there is an element of predictability. Like, even with the Kansas City Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes, or insert good, really good quarterback, really good team, really good offense, whatever, there's an element of predictability. They're going to try to get the ball to their best player. Everybody knows that. And granted, the Texans don't have a lot of those really good players, but you got one of them. And you can at least have them on the field and put into the mind of a defense that, you know what, yeah, here's where the ball's probably going to go, and let's throw a little window dressing, pre-snap motion, spread it out, move things around, you know, create a little bit of a different look. You can look different, but have similar action and execute a, the same play or do the same thing that you want to get accomplished with Damian Pierce on the field. You know, and, and they just, they refuse to do that. I, I, I can't believe that it is tolerated time and time again by Lovey Smith, a guy who we do laud at times for, you know, being a veteran NFL coach, a guy that does, uh, you know, understand clock management and handle those types of things well, and he's a good game day manager. Okay, great, fine, but... I need somebody better to, you know, kind of put a stop, put the kibosh on some things that you have to know are egregious during a game. Well, the, 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 oh, the game day managing, uh, like, I, Today I it was I, bad. I, no, it's, and there's been other times where it's bad. And it's like, you know, just the stupid stuff. Like, yeah, the game's over with whatever. But if you're running a two minute offense, run it like you've, care run it like you're, you're trying to come back Urgency. in the game you yeah. know hurry up you know that they, they never hurry up then they get to the five or six yard line and kyle allen can't snap the ball before the two-minute warning he's like doing 14 different things and he doesn't understand that you have to snap the ball because you're wasting a timeout if you're not snapping the ball before the two-minute warning i mean just yeah. the just the little stuff over and over again this team can't get right that you know and and it's not like i haven't seen it all in the bill o'brien era but it's just it's and now it just shows up even worse because you know the team is so bad at this point you see um, some of our comments uh kenneth says bring the oilers back luke says so when does pep get shown the door before or with lovey and then uh, goyo falcon says texans need to clean house this is unacceptable um oilers aren't coming back and the latter two it's going to happen the house yeah will be completely cleaned. I mean, yeah, yeah. I'm telling you, it is just going to be that way. And I'm not saying in Nick Casario, we trust. Okay, remember the old moniker in Daryl Morey, we trust? No, he has not reached that level at all. He's got a long way to go. However, I do trust Nick Casario to a large degree in that what you're seeing, yeah, it's ugly. It's it, If you want the number one overall pick, it doesn't look pretty in route to get there, okay? It's going to look bad at times, okay? And there are going to be plenty of these games. If you thought the Texans were going to play 17 games this season and lose 
by less than like by seven points or less and be in every single game. And boy, boy, we just, you know, one possession here, two possessions there, a play here, a play there. No, it's not going to look that way. A bad team is a bad team. It was constructed to be as such, you know? And I, I, I really honestly believe that to a certain degree, it's being managed as such with certain things in mind. I mean, it, 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 I have to say that because outside of that, it is too egregious to to have been allowed otherwise, to be quite honest with you. So I do trust Nick Casario to clean house. And I do trust Cal McNair, um, you know, to a certain degree, to not keep one single solitary soul that is wearing a Houston Texans uniform or coach's gear uh, on this staff next year. Besides Frank Ross and anybody that has anything to do with special teams, like keep them around, please. Yeah, and let me just say, if you this whole if you want the number one pick and then you got to play like garbage and you got to coach like garbage and all that, I, I hate that philosophy because there are guys. I talk about this with the Rockets. There are guys that are worth keeping around, and if you're keeping them around, I want them to get in the right habits. <clears throat> and you know, if this guy at number one was LeBron, the LeBron James of the NFL or whatever Peyton Manning or whoever your like surefire number one pick quarterback would be. I mean, that's one thing, but you know, Bryce Young's not that guy. I don't believe nobody thinks he's that guy. So this idea that you're going to just waste the development of some really good talented guys, whether it's Damian Pierce or Kenyon green or uh, Stingley or Petrie or whatever by them, not, knowing where to be and how to play. And this is the way we do things that that to me is a concern, you know, I mean, because that lasts, that takes a while to get that out of, you know, out of your players, like minds going forward. I I don't know. I mean, I I guess presumably I I know what you're saying. Um, You don't want them to be kind of like scarred going forward. And, you know, this being a, a huge setback year in terms of, their individual careers. I mean, I habits, totally get habits, that. habits. I'm talking about yeah, habits. Yeah. Habits fine. You know, I, I, I get what you're saying, but um, you know, this is the second in, in some cases, uh, third or maybe even fourth uh, offensive or defensive system that uh, those guys have been in dating back to college. You know I mean? Things change. They have to adapt. And so some of them haven't, um, you know, been in very different, systems uh over the last couple of three years some of them are used to something and you know this 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 is a transition into a a different league where the pros are and defensively look you'd tolerate a lot of this stuff if you had just an average offense robert like who knows what this team would look like with an average offense with an average quarterback and average play calling and like who knows what we could be talking about here um uh you know, fireable offenses, fire lovey, fire pep. Da, da, da. I, I don't know. It, it just, it, it, it's been that bad and at times historically bad and egregious and elementary mistakes and just simple fundamentals. And the fact that the Texans have a more presidential guy to take the podium and lovey Smith this year than just that of David Culley last year. Um, no, that's not a reason to give him a pass. That's not a reason to give him another year as a head football coach of this team. They're going to bring a quarterback in a quarterback, and he's not going to be around to oversee the development. It's just not going to be that way, um, because I stand on this and this alone. One, I'll ask you a question: 
how often does that happen? And then two, how often has that worked out? Where you've gone quarterback and you've kept a guy around who oversaw absolute horse you know what, and it's worked. No. It means multiple different offenses, multiple different systems, multiple different cultures for the supposed uh, franchise quarterback of your organization. Why would you want to give him that kind of a start? If it's C.J. Stroud, if it's Bryce Young, if it's Will Levis, if it's anybody, it doesn't matter. If you're spending a number one overall pick on a guy to be your franchise quarterback, you give him a fresh start, you give that head coach and that offensive coordinator and that entire staff, you know, the three, four years that it's going to take to get this guy to optimum NFL play and to have him perform as such. The reason why you drafted him. Is it going to take three or four years? I don't know. Does Bryce Young tilt the field for you? Does, does C.J. Stroud tilt the field for you? When those guys walk on the field, are you saying, if you're watching on your TV set, holy smokes, like, these guys are in trouble today. Man, this guy's the best player on the field today by far. If either one of those guys do it for you, then that's who the Texans should take. And I think they do go quarterback. And I think they do go Bryce Young. And you're going to hear all kinds of noise about it, I think, going forward. That, ah, uh, you know, is Bryce Young going to opt to stay? You know, that should he come out because he's going to be on? People say the same crap every year with the best quarterback in the country going to the worst team in the NFL. That's who has the pick. And just so happens the Texans were the laughing stock over the course of the last couple of three years in the league. So the optics already are there. And the narrative is already there. But it's got to change. And the only way it's going to change is with a new face. And it's probably going to be Bryce Young. And you've got to do everything in your power. And Nick Casario has everything at his disposal to do just that. High draft capital, a lot of money to spend. And you've got some good young players on this team that could be a part of the, the solution more than they are the pro- problem right now going forward. So uh, I do feel good about it. And I think a lot of it is by design. Um, and you just got five more weeks where you got to play out just a a horrible time in, in really Houston football history. And one year from now, this will be completely, it's going to be like Minna Black, like, boom, wiped away from your memory. Because we're going to have Bryce Young on the football field as a Houston Texan throwing dimes to people. All right, give us something else to talk about in the next six months, because you're taking you're taking away my Bryce Young stuff already. Uh, we got to talk some more Bryce Young down the road and where that's going. But uh, I'm going to end it with, with this question um, that we have in the comments. And it's, uh, let's go to this one here. Casario. Um, picked up Mills, decided not to bring in a veteran this year to compete with Mills. When last year he preached creating competition at every position. Um, he talks about uh, Mr. Falcone says, or Mrs. I'm not sure, but even the draft class hasn't been all that. Uh, the only good rookie we drafted is Pierce. I'm not so sure no. about that. Um, they said that they said that this is, but here's the question that I wanted to ask you, which is what they've gotten down to is Casario. Fire Casario. It says it's unacceptable that he's hired two one-and-done coaches if Levy is fired. Context matters, man. Context matters. It's not that simple. It's really not that simple. One, you don't even know if Casario made the decision to hire Kelly. Two, you don't know. None none of us know. Now, I'm not going to say that uh, there are are members of the media that they do, they just can't say it and they haven't said it right now and they haven't confirmed it. And it'll probably always go unsaid, but you don't even know if uh, what, what the situation rather was with Lovey Smith. 
Okay. And it's not me trying to be conspiracy theory guy or anything like that, because I am, I'm not that guy. I'm not conspiracy theory guy. I'm just telling you that context matters and that you have to dig a lot deeper than just say, Hey, Casario hired, you know, two one and done coaches. Easterby. And it, what, what about, what about Easterby? Easterby had a lot to do with, yeah. with a lot that you're still seeing on the field. Easterby had a lot to do with the fact that Jeff Driscoll is a quarterback on this Houston Texans team. Easterby had a lot to do with a lot of things that are actually still in place organizationally with this football team that they actually like, and it may not go anywhere for a, a you know foreseeable future that you don't see on Sundays. And in large part, none of that really matters. But in terms of a personnel, like we don't understand the dynamic that existed to what currently exists to what well, this season that, will look that, like in the well, that, that, That's it's why I'm bringing up Easterby. Yeah. You're talking about context. Easterby yeah. is part of the context. Yes. You, you don't want to talk about it. I'll talk about it. Jack Easterby had his fingerprints all over everything. I assume Jack Easterby had fingerprints on Cully, on Levy Smith. Um, he was talking to Cal McNair about everything until he left the room. I don't know what Casario believed on a lot of these decisions. I know Casario was handling the football decision decisions and who was getting drafted and all of that, but I don't know about the other stuff. I don't know if he's picking the quarterbacks, but let me just say this about the quarterbacks in competition. To have a quarterback that's a veteran, to be a competitor for Davis Mills, he has to want to come to Houston. He knew that Houston and everybody knew and any quarterback out there knew and everybody in the world knew that they're trash and they didn't have anything to compete with this year. So if you're a veteran quarterback, do you want to go to the Texans or do you want to go to somewhere to anywhere else in the NFL? Right. So and 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 the other way you can get a quarterback that's a veteran mm-hmm. is you can go trade for him. Do you want to waste a draft choice, a, a mid to late round draft choice on a quarterback for a team that's going nowhere and who needs wow. all the draft choices going forward that they can have? It, it, to me, the quarterback thing Throw that off the table. The coach thing, without me and Sean being in the room and to know what Easterby was doing with Cully and with the Levy Smith decision, it is almost impossible to say. I can't judge Casario about anything as far as that goes until we move forward into next year, like who he picks as the head coach, who he picks going forward. Because now I believe he's making those decisions. Before, I didn't know. Yeah, and I think he was a victim of circumstance, and um, I think he's going to have a full deck to play with now going forward, which is why I want to give him the benefit of the doubt, Um, because we just don't know the power struggle and the structure that existed to what extent um, over the course of the last two years within this organization. You can speculate a lot. You can even connect some dots, which I feel like, Robert, you did a pretty good job of, of, of there. And I think you're spot on in relation to Cully and Smith and the Easterby connection. Um, but there are so many more questions that need answers, and we probably will never have uh, any answers to those questions. What and we I'm do talking- know, though, is Easterby got into the room mm-hmm. because of Bill O'Brien. Yeah. And, and Casario got into the room because of Easterby. So if Casario went against Easterby, he knew his job was in jeopardy because then Easterby would go to Cal McNair and get him out of there. So well, Casario went along with it. I mean, mm-hmm. if I, you know, this is like a Shakespeare play. 
if if I know that the guys could stab me in the back, then I got to watch my back on that guy, and I got to do yeah. what he says and work my way around it. And and I don't think Casario was the one that eventually got Easterby out of there. My guess is somebody outside of Casario went to Cal McNair and said, "You know what? This is the optics on this are terrible." Yeah. Like Casario was not that guy because Casario knew he got a job. Not only did he get a job, he got a guaranteed long-term contract for a franchise that was in the total crapper because of Jack Easterby. So that's the point here. Is I think you've got to remember both. the circumstances. The circumstances yeah. are important. Yeah, I think it could be both, though, to be quite honest with you. Um, because, look, Nick Casario's name didn't pop up on that search committee when they were charged with finding prospective general managers. Easterby found that guy, had a connection with that guy, and New England connection in general, it existed. So if you're Nick Casario, sure, why wouldn't you take advantage of an opportunity um, to go be a general manager of an organization in which your buddy is already a member of? And once you're given the opportunity to show what you can do, um, yeah, I, I don't think it's out of the question that Casario could have played a part to what degree. I don't know. But in getting Easterby, um, you know, at least his power, as much as he did, removed, um, whether he totally was responsible for having him ousted as a member of this executive staff, I, I don't know. But I think he certainly probably played a small part of it. Um, and my, my, my guess is Casario wanted Brian Flores because he knew Brian Flores from his days <clears> with the Patriots. And when, when that thing blew up, then they were left holding the bag because here's what happened. They were counting on the Brian Flores thing. Then Brian Flores decides he's going to sue the NFL. So where are the Texans at that point? They're at the point where all of these coaching candidates that were out there are all gone. And remember, who's ever out there, all these great guys that the Texans could have hired, could they have, though? Could Did these guys really want to come to Houston instead of the other franchises? Wouldn't you have picked any other franchise in the NFL if you had a choice as a head coach than Houston? So I don't know who they could have hired as a head coach if they didn't you know, hire Brian Flores. And definitely by the time Levy comes around, when it gets to that point, all those guys are they're off the table because they've already been hired by other places. You have to remember the timeline of all this and and how this whole thing played out. And look, Brian Flores, you know, there might have been problems with him in Miami, but he had done a pretty good job with, you know, making that team look pretty good. You know, you can say, oh, Tua looks a lot better and that's a whole other situation. But as far as the team itself and how they were playing, he had done a pretty decent job with Miami. And there was no. just, the, the, the issue was with him and management there. Yeah. And you can't argue with the improvement that you did see with him at the helm in Miami. However, what what's on the tea leaves now and reading between the lines with things that Mike McDaniels has said this year with things that Tua has said that draw allusions to what things and culture was like under Flores while his time in Miami. I, I'm kind of glad that that didn't transpire and happen here. Um, <laughs> despite, you know, what, what it kind of led to. I think, uh, I think, you know, there's light at the end of the tunnel. I think this is a desirable job and I think there's going to be, um, you know, plenty of candidates to choose from, to be quite honest with you, because you got the number one pick. You're probably going to have two in the top 10, depending on how the Browns finish. You're going to have two really good first round draft picks, a lot of draft capital, a lot of money to spend. Uh, you've got uh, a, a lot of pieces on this team already. Not that many, but you've got an entire offseason to try and build a squad. So it's got to be very appealing 
uh, to a prospective head coach, um, whether it be a first-year guy or somebody else making a lateral move um, that maybe this is a better fit for. I don't know. It's, we got a lot of time. we got five months before the draft. Um, a lot of things can happen, and they will. Conversation on the quarterback, though, and what the Texans are going to do with the number one overall, I don't think it's going to change very much. I think it's I think it's pretty set in stone. And I know there's people out there. We're getting a lot of comments now. Ah, Bryson going to be the number one. You know, Texans, somebody's saying Texans need to draft a tight end. Like, number one tight end, get out of here. You know what I'm saying? Like, not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Um, you're going to get a quarterback. And there's going to be talk. I can't wait to see what apex it reaches of, hey, let's just wait for Caleb Williams. Everything's going to be fine. Okay. If you thought this was an orchestrated tank this year to get the number one overall pick, and it looks this bad, how bad do you think it has to look to do the same damn thing next year? From an optic standpoint, what better staff would you want to tank next year in 2023 for than the one you got in-house already? Try selling that to the fans in this city and in the surrounding area of the Houston Texans. It's not going to happen. You you had a plan. This is Casario's plan. Got draft capital. You got money to spend. You're going to take the best possible player out there number one overall and it's probably going to be Bryce Young but C.J. Stroud fine I don't know I'm not saying it's Bryce or nobody else I'm just saying it could be Bryce could be C.J. whoever they're taking a quarterback and with that quarterback you're going to have an entirely new coaching staff and face of a franchise next year and this thing then and only then will start to take a real turn okay well you heard it Sean's predicting a, a total clean house except for Casario so we'll see what happens with all of that um, I want to talk more about the quarterback situation, but give, give, give me a few more weeks to square some things out. Got a long I've got, time. I, 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 you know, I, I did figure I would be talking quarterbacks here and it's, you know, I, I, I thought it was a possibility a few months ago, but that we were, that the whole conversation was, but definitely if you haven't go check out, I did a conversation just three or four weeks ago. We talked about Bryce Young with the draft expert. It's worth a listen. Just go type in Bryce Young in our search engine and you will find in the YouTube search engine for the page and you will find that conversation, uh, which was really interesting. And Hey, and- let me give uh, Falcon credit here. He says a tight end in the second or third round genius, not in the first round. Okay. All right. Well, uh, you certainly wouldn't do it in the first round. So second or third round. Yeah, maybe. Um, but Well, they've drafted but- a tight end in the second or third round for like five of the last six seasons. And it's they always did. a failure. I'm but like, I, I, forget the tight end at this point. You know, tight. You know what tight end is for me on the list of Texans issues. It's like 21st. Yeah, they need they, they they need a center. They need guards. They need everybody on the front seven. Any position. There's seven positions on the front seven. They can younger use, edge rushers. Like give me, all, give me all of that. Wide receiver. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Like they've got needs all over the place, and tight end is not one of them. Even though yes, they have technically I think the worst tight end group production wise in the entire league, but. Um, I think a good quarterback and a good offense in here, you could probably do just fine with an OJ Howard or Jordan Akins or even a Tegan Pretoriano uh, or even a Brevin Jordan. Any one of these guys that has played a snap this year from that tight end room this season, you could probably be okay with. You got a lot of other problems to solve uh, before you even get to tight end. I agree with you there. Yeah, the other part about it is, what are these tight ends going to look like with a real quarterback? Just just think about it for a that's second. Only, yeah, that's my point. Yeah, They, like, they, they can't. They can't throw the ball and catch the ball themselves. And so, and and by the way, and a real offensive coordinator. So if you think the tight end is the issue, 
then you think Pep Hamilton and Davis Mills and Kyle Allen are just all brilliant and, and fantastic and are doing exactly what they're supposed to do. So, look, I mean, like Nico Collins, and I've, I've, I said this on Twitter today, and I'll repeat it here. Nico Collins is better than you think he is after watching these quarterbacks. And I'm, I'm actually very happy with Nico Collins. I think that's going to be the best pick by far of that first Casario draft. And really, there's not a whole yeah. lot of selection in that draft yeah. anyway, but <laughs> that's going to be the one that sticks from that entire draft. Uh, Brevin Jordan, obviously, Roy Lopez, Davis Mills, et cetera, et cetera. So anyway, yeah. uh, Sean and I will do this again in, in the middle of the week, talking uh, Texans and anything else that's going on in Houston sports. But we're going to continue to have these conversations and and I'll get my thoughts collected a little bit on the quarterback situation because I have thoughts just in general with the quarterback situation. And as it goes along, we'll get into the specifics of the quarterbacks that are out there. But um, I, I would rather leave that a lot of that to the draft experts because I don't feel like I'm good enough. I don't feel like the draft experts are good enough sometimes to judge the quarterback, but certainly. <laughs> They're not. If they could talk about it, you and I are well, more than well enough qualified to talk about it as well. We've got five months to do so. So we need to have a, a quarterback show, quarterback-centric show, um, maybe one every week leading up into the draft, April 27th, 2023. Let's go. Yeah, we're going to have some more quarterback experts for, for sure. But uh, great to talk with you, Sean. Uh, make sure if you haven't to go subscribe mm -hmm. to our YouTube channel if you're on us right now, as well as you know subscribe to us on whatever your favorite podcast app is, because we also do this audio-wise. So if you can't watch us on YouTube when you're in the car, when you're at the gym, when you're walking the dog, whatever, uh, listen to our shows. Uh, we'd love to get more input from people out there that are listening and watching. Thank you again for everybody out there for being on with us. Uh, that's all for the Houston Texans. Another ugly Houston Texans post-game show. But uh, Texans lose this one to the Browns and Deshaun gets his revenge. Eh, sort of not really. But anyway, ah. yeah, we'll catch up with everybody later. Thanks. You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Hey, you can support the show by subscribing on YouTube and commenting on the videos. Listen to Houston Sports Talk on Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, and Google. Don't forget to tell a friend and share our show on social media. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening.